Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. All right. Thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And I'm so excited uh, for today's guest, uh, Reverend Dr. Brianna Parker. What's up, uh, Rev Bri? Listen, everything is up. I'm so excited to be here and spend time with you again. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, Brie is no stranger to the G3 Project. She's been on both Courageous Conversations, um, and she's a glutton for punishment because she came back the second time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, She's a dynamic uh, speaker, teacher, author, uh, entrepreneur. I have her book here, uh, What Google Can't Give You, so make sure you you get that. We'll talk a little bit about that. But for those who don't know who you are, uh, Brie, give them a little bit of background about, about yourself. You know, I call myself now, Lisa, the Black Church's favorite nerd. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm CEO of Black Millennial Cafe, which is a, a research, polling, consulting conf- consulting firm. We just try to help grow um Black churches, we really started off just doing Black millennial work, right? Black millennial engagement as I'm the only researcher in the country to hold extensive quantitative and qualitative data on Black millennials and faith. But after realizing there was a real deficit in positive data that could actually benefit Black churches and organizations when it was time to ask for resources, right? Or um, to, you know, request grants or to build businesses, I realized that I wanted to again, create what did not exist so that it could benefit us. And so that's how it became a broader research and polling and consulting firm. And so now we just deal with uh, black churches and communities and organizations who have either research and polling needs or who need consultation on what it means to either grow or uh, maintain or thrive. And now in a pandemic, (laughs) we kind of deal with what it means to uh, thrive in a pandemic and beyond because, of course, I'm the lead researcher for Barna State of the Black Church Study. And so we're trying to figure out, well, we're using the data to kind of give context to where people are and where we should head. Awesome. In addition to all those things, you're also the person that I send memes to that I'm not supposed to post online. <laughs> Seriously, let me tell you something. As I open it, I'm like, let me see this foolishness. <laughs> I'm like, let me see this. (laughs) But you know what I've been surprised with? Like, as a preacher, I know how things can really go wrong in a virtual moment trying to preach. And we haven't had a lot of bloopers that have really, like, sent us in. Oh, yeah, that's true. So that's been what, except the lady who was like, you know, what? Um, She was trying to exhort, remember? And she was making up all this stuff as she was going along. Yeah, is that the one with the chauffeur? No, no. 
No, this is the Lord. Remember, she was outside and she was like, This is the day the Lord has made. I will. Oh, yeah, I remember like, that. I'm, yes, I will give God <laughs> praise. And like she was starting on another one and like get it midway. <laughs> we haven't had a whole lot of virtual church bloopers. That is actually surprising. Yes, we had enough other stuff though to take care of that. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on a serious note, um, how what do you think the a black church landscape? Um, is during COVID? How do, have you seen churches struggle? What are some things you've seen done well? Um, what have you seen some things done poorly? I know that's a compounded question uh, that could that could have us here all day, but um, yeah. just a, a synopsis. Yeah, the thing that's done poorly right now, honestly, is you know the the whole uh camera and angles and all that stuff like somehow we still up your nose uh you know <laughs> i just don't know how we're still there in the year of our lord 2021 um we've been doing this almost a year but um so i think that's like the big thing we're doing wrong we're just not getting it together visually i think mm-hmm. another thing we're i'm starting with the wrong stuff so i can end positively another thing we're getting wrong is we're not managing our finances well right now we're mm-hmm. sitting on our finances and we're so happy for those of us who you know, don't have as much overhead, right? And mm-hmm. who had, you know, pretty good giving. So we're kind of in a in the black in ways we have not been previously for some churches. Mm-hmm. And for those churches, they are not hiring consultants. They are not looking at the landscape of their community. They are not um, combining positions because some of them are just not necessary anymore. They're not mm-hmm. hiring people who can take this day's church to the next level and i even mean in positions like you know people still have you know the people who look at the membership forms as a full-time position but they don't have anybody in media that is a full-time paid person so i don't i think we need to redistribute resources and i don't know that many churches are doing it they're holding on for a bad day and i'm like if you keep holding on the bad day is going to be that you're not able to keep up in this life not that you can't afford it mm-hmm. you know and so to be like one of those uh, churches that just have a lot of money so they can stay open even if you know nobody's coming so i think that may be what we're doing wrong um right now what we're doing right is pivoting from um what i understand and the difference in the uh the state of the church state of the black church and state of the church is you know the comparisons show that black churches have pivoted really well and really quickly mm. I mean, I think we are hard on ourselves, right? We're like, oh, you ain't got good virtual worship. Well, there were white churches that never pivoted. They knew mm. they had the money to sustain themselves and they weren't willing to make the adjustments. And they felt like, you know, whenever we got out of this, the people would come back and we're still in it. Mm-hmm. And now they're trying to make changes because they don't know how long it's going to be or they're trying to do these in-person worship experiences that are kind of, you know, a, a little altered, not much. Um mm-hmm. And so I think what we've done well is pivoted. You know, we we realize now we've pivoted for a reason, a specific reason that many white churches don't have to because we need the money, right? Mm-hmm. We had to be able to collect tithes and offering. We had to be able to give people an experience that would tell them that they should continue to give because there was ministry still going on. And we had to show people that we were still doing ministry. And for that reason, we've just made some real adjustments. Unfortunately, I think we're coasting. And we're waiting for the day that this is over. And mm-hmm. now like, well, we have some kind of virtual worship. That should be enough. But I realize discipleship is the issue now. So now we're trying to do discipleship training for churches because most people don't even know where their members are. Mm-hmm. 
You know, they yeah. don't know how to find them, how to care for them. Pastoral care is like not a thing if you're not willing to beat down the door, you know, and that's not yeah. pastoral care. So I think I don't think we're doing, you know, I, I think we're doing pretty well. I just think it's time for us to keep, kick it up a notch. And I don't know that many churches are going to want to do that. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they're hesitant to it? You know, it costs money. That's the first thing. And, you know, we don't operate from a theolo theology of sufficiency, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you have the money or when you can, you feel like the money exists, but you're trying to hold on to it for a rainy day, but it's already raining. You know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just sprinkling, you know, it's not storming yet. So I think that makes it difficult. It's hard for us to step out there. And then don't forget, we were under horrible leadership. And so we didn't know what was coming, even, you know, as far as the government public policy, what would be allowed, um, taxes, you know, all those things were, were, were real. Not only that, and I don't think many people are thinking about this enough, but I'm sure some people had to be concerned that they weren't sure what the unemployment rate, how the unemployment rate would impact them. You know, like it's mm -hmm. okay today, but how long will our people keep their jobs and how long will they be able to continue? So honestly, I just think we work from a place of insufficiency, even when there are resources in front of us. Mm -hmm. Do you think black millennials are losing interest in the church uh, because of COVID and virtual service? Uh, or do you think there is helping peak their interest um, and drawing them back in? I think it depends on the church. Uh, the state mm -hmm. of the black church uh, study will definitely speak to those numbers. I, I think if the church is able to create opportunities for fellowship, engagement, you know, that type of situation, then black millennials are encouraged by it. But just sitting there watching you, I mean, that's that ain't it. You know, um, mm -hmm. I actually got to see with the client. We did a poll on their congregation and we were able to see that the seniors love virtual worship while um, the uh, young adults or emerging generations did not like it at all. Now, they were mm -hmm. hanging in there because they still believe in their church. They had opportunities outside of the church, but they weren't in love with doing it that way now. People are getting excited when I say this sometimes because they feel like, oh, you see, the millennials want church or emerging generations want church. No, they don't. They want to lead a house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they don't really want to. So, when they do an assessment or, you know, do a survey, they're talking about wanting to go to church. They want to go to a letter licking party right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> that doesn't really mean they want to go back into the building, which, you know, I'll wait. I'll hold my next comment for when we're talking about what church is going to look like after. But I, I think uh, black millennials are at the point where they are making an attempt like they're doing with everything to keep um, organizations alive and thriving. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take real, you know, innovation and um, real um, unique experiences to keep them like really on board and participating in a number of ways. I, I mean, you know, church hopping, child, that's not even a word that we'll use anymore because... I mean, people watch seven services in a day. I don't. I don't even watch church on Sunday. I watch it later during the week um, when I feel like I need it in a different moment. But I actually don't even watch with everyone. And so to to imagine that black millennials are just tuning in and waiting for whatever you have to say when you're going to say it the same way with the same look and the same, you know what I mean, like type of audience strategy or audience engagement, that just won't happen for long. Mm -hmm. I love that you you uh, mentioned that be the difference between seniors and millennials wanting to get out the house. And two, like millennials are on Zoom meetings all day for work. Mm -hmm. And this like Sunday seems like can seem like another Zoom meeting. 
Um, yeah. I'm just watching, watching, and it becomes uh, a lot. And so, like you said, a person would go to a letter licking party just to mm-hmm. get out of the house. And yeah. I, what I, one of the things I love about the way in which you look at the numbers is you also look at it with nuance. Um, because some people can just look at those numbers face value and say, yeah, like young people are ready to go back to church. And you're like, no, you got to yeah. consider all the factors. And you did that also at Courageous Conversations uh, for the the um, when, on the black millennial panel when you're talking about black people, black uh, millennials going to white churches. And you said <laughs> something that I thought was profound. They're not going to uh, Bob's Reverend Bob's church. Um, right. So it seems like sometimes when we're talking, we're talking in generalizations and you kind of bring it back to no, there's nuance to even the numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's important, Lisa. And that's that's what, you know, honestly, and you know, I mean, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but to toot. Like at the end <laughs> of the day, that's what makes Black Millennial Cafe Black Millennial Cafe. That we come mm-hmm. from the Black community, the Black church, that we embody all things Black. We Black, the Black, Black. So when we look at the numbers, we have enough experience. And if we don't have the experience, we have the relationships to call together groups who can actually help us speak into the situation in ways that white researchers and white um, firms don't. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at singers loving virtual worship, Part of the reason is because they have value all of a sudden. Like Mm -hmm. I I can actually get in, I can make a comment in ways that they didn't. And Mm -hmm. when they can't drive at night, they still get to go to revival. When they're Mm -hmm. sick, they still get to go to worship. And so it was actually probably always the solution to the ailments uh, that singers have but they just, you know, didn't have to use it or their church didn't offer that opportunity. So, you know, I, I try to always just not give these flat surface, um, you know, numbers that help people to stay where they are or move someplace they don't need to be. Because if you, you know, misinterpret the data, then, you know, you waste resources just as much as you do if you don't have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's so true. When you think about uh, black millennials and uh, the trends as far as them going to multi-ethnic churches, do you think that's more of a regional thing? Um, because it seems like people like the, you know, Stephen Furtick type of worship and they'll, I, I think we've talked about this uh, before, they'll forego not talking about justice for the worship experience mm-hmm. or what that experience offers at, to them, but be super like justice oriented. Um, but um, it seems to like be some cognitive dissonance there. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about about that? So I'm glad you asked. Um, when it comes to multi-ethnic churches, Barna's going to release a study, um, I think maybe next month or in March. And we're going to find out some things um, <laughs> about multi-ethnic churches that most people will not want to hear. And I will say what I know or knew before the study, that multi-ethnic churches are not necessarily healthy for people of color. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's too much you have to lose and give up or too much is silenced in these spaces. And I know everybody listening now is about to cuss me out, you know, in the comments and send me messages. Who do you think you are? I think I'm somebody who understands church spaces. Um, so let me answer that. So you don't have to send me that question. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the majority of these churches, too, Lisa, are not multi-ethnic. They're white and open to people mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. multi-ethnic would be something much more balanced than we've seen leadership would i mean if we're going to talk about equity in a space right 
um, in the midst of a world that has shown white supremacy to be its God in a, in a number of areas, then a healthy multi-ethnic multi church would need a person of color as the leader. Mm -hmm. As far as equity in a space, you know, like these things are not happening in multi-ethnic churches. So I have seen that, um, you know, black millennials run to multi-ethnic churches or white churches that, you know, are, are, I guess, publicly very open to people of color. And I think part of the reason we get to see this is, you know, it's usually not coming from people who have not, and I should do a study on this, have not previously been a part of a black church. Mm. We see people run to a multi-ethnic church with the assumption that there's something better there than, than they've experienced in the black church. And I think the better comes from the culture of the church. Mm -hmm. Not the word. I don't think that's really it. You know, not the ministry as much. I don't think that's it. I think sometimes the culture, you know, that black church culture can be a lot for you. You know, <laughs> you have 17 grandmothers, 43 aunts, you know what I mean? Somebody who else who thinks they're your mother to tell you what to do. You know, sometimes they're not as, and, and of course this is not for everybody, but sometimes we're not as organized as others. Um, we don't give people the same type of opportunity to kind of pick and choose very, um, you know, without pressure. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of pressure sometimes to be, you know, being a part of a black church is like having a second black family. And shoot, you know, most people don't want a second family if you think about the real dynamics of them. Um, so I think sometimes that that is the reason why. I really do think that that is a strong part of the reason why. I also think sometimes we get to a place where we're looking for a new type of community or community you know, and we can imagine not even because like the white man's ice is colder kind of situation, mm -hmm. but because I need a change. I have to make a change. Mm -hmm. And so let me try this out and see if I'm going to get a different result. And we're finding that, you know, I mean, people are silenced. You know, the same people who, um, you know, clothes like they do in the traditional black church with somebody on the organ behind them wear Jordans and skinny jeans. You know what I mean? And appropriate many black church culture experiences are the same people who won't open their mouth when a black person is killed, when insurrectionists um, come and storm the, storm the Capitol, when you have people who are, you know, dying under poor leadership, mm -hmm. which becomes poor leadership, you know? Mm -hmm. So poor leadership then begins to run rampant in ways that, you know, this country, this country is going to have a leadership problem at the end of this, Lisa. I, I really mean that. Between four years plus a pandemic, silence on important issues, we are literally going to have a leadership problem. And the mm -hmm. people who you will see reign immediately after the world realizes there's a leadership problem will be people who are strong, who are publicly strong leaders, even when they're dogmatic, because people are going to be so desperate for a leader and to see a leadership happening that they're going to run to people who will actually be damaging. Mm, that's a great point. That's a great point. Do you think uh, some of the people that are, are le leaving black churches or just millennials that are returning to church and going to multi-ethnic church, do you think any of that has to do with status? I would definitely say it was a status thing pre-Trump and then mm -hmm. and then again pre-pandemic Trump. You know, we, we've seen some stuff that we just can't unsee. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think it was a status thing. Let me tell you what kind of status thing it was to a certain extent. It was 
like black Republicans back in the day. Mm-hmm. Remember, if you made a black Republican, like we didn't all we didn't automatically back in the day think you were terrible like we would today for many black Republicans, right or wrong. I'm just saying it's where we are. Um, <laughs> Because we don't see him as Republicans, we see him as Trump supporters. So you can't really be a Republican today. It's like, are you a Trump supporter or are you not? And Mm -hmm. so I think the whole status thing is like back in the day when somebody said they were a black, at least me growing up, you know, and I'm a little behind the curve. But um, when we were growing up, I don't know if you remember this, Lisa, and you met a black Republican, like you almost had to listen to why, because they usually knew something or they made us believe they knew something about economics that we didn't understand. You know what I mean? That they were actually like kind of savvy in ways that the rest of the country, I didn't want to be one, but I had to listen to them. And it's like, like, what is your point of view? Where are you? And it felt a little elitist to me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like sometimes, you know, people who go to multi-ethnic churches, you know, feel a little, you know, like they have evolved in some ways that the rest of the black community hasn't. And because of that, they want to be in a diverse, uh, they want to have diverse experiences that will help them to broaden their understanding and spirituality. So I think it's a little elitist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I was talking to, I went to Houston and uh, the makeup artist was telling me that a lot of her black friends were leaving black churches and going to multi-ethnic churches. And she felt like it was, it had all to do with status. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a good insight. So yeah, I think some of it definitely does. I mean, think about it. You know, like when we go on vacations, Lisa, you know, black millennials, like while y'all are in Greece, I'm on some new stuff and I go to this place, you know what I mean? So we're always trying to separate ourselves. I don't participate in that, but you know, as, as a culture and especially as a generation, we really do find a lot of pleasure in, you know, leaving the 99 and not going back to the one, but being the one. Ah, that's, that's a great, uh, great point. I like how you put that being the one, not going after the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when, when we think about church, uh, post COVID, what do you think it's going to look like? Mm, let me tell you, I think Lisa post COVID, we are going to have to really acknowledge the fact that the world is probably, the church will probably become um, the new AMC. People mm. will treat it like a movie theater experience. Like I could do it at home, but you know, for the experience when it's worth it, you know, I take my whole family. Mm. Um, initially people are going to be like, yes, I knew we were coming back. And that girl was wrong because people don't go anywhere. Let me tell you, I'm trying to tell you, if I tell people right now, Hey, do you want to go vacuum sand at the beach? Sand, you know, like <laughs> you won't get COVID. They're going to be out there. You want to go sleep it? Would you like to come sleep it with me and put it in a garbage bag? They're like, yes, I can't wait to go to the beach sweep. Um, you know, like, so people will do anything initially and people are going to be so happy to leave. And then they're going to remember the convenience of virtual ministry. And then they're going to wonder why they're wasting gas. And then they're going to wonder why their, um, why their, um, cleaners bill, dry cleaning bill is up again. And then they're going to think about the fact that their kids, are tired and actually need both days of the weekend in their mind. You know, like these things are going to come back to them. And we also have to remember, we're not really used to very crowded places anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the trauma of walking into worship and seeing a new version of it is something we need to consider. 
Mm -hmm. um, all the loss that we've had, when people try to resume normal life, they have to acknowledge the loss that the person who usually sits on the row in front of them does not exist. And maybe half the row is gone, you know, if, if they swept their community. I mean, there are gonna be a number of things that would lead us to, that lead me to believe today that we're gonna treat it like an experience, like almost like a holiday. So the churches who are able to like really convince people that they have something new and exciting going on every time, um, mm -hmm. we'll probably get a larger, you know, well, the attendance will be larger for those churches. But for those people who do special Sundays, they're gonna get special <laughs> visitors. You know, they're gonna get, you know, special congregations. And so I am trying to help churches right now redefine their space, um, mm -hmm. not just the set, for the sake of virtual engagement, which needs to be together. Um, but also what are we gonna do when people are walking back in? So we're doing re-entry plans with churches right now, helping them to know not only what it means to walk back in the church, but what does that look like and how do we fill a space? And if you have a 500 seater and you only have 200 who come, you know, on a Sunday, what are we gonna do with the rest of the space? You know, it only takes a little while before you realize you don't need it. And then it becomes um, cold, you know, and it's no longer intimate. So all these things are real. All these things are real about the, you know, we talk about the return. We're so excited for the return. And I think we really need to, you know, prepare our egos. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's hard work preaching to one person. That's an ego hit. Mm -hmm. But it's another one when you go back and you open it up and say, dun, da, 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 and you got like 17 people who walk in, you know? Yeah, that's a very good point because, like you said, people are eager to go anywhere. So, of course, the initial eagerness is going to be there to go to church. But then you're competing with so many other activities um, yeah. that people miss. And then you have, you know, you mentioned people with children and them even moving a lot of the uh, football games or whatever or whatever games onto Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to want to you're, you're going to have to say if my child is competing as an athlete then mm -hmm. I can't really go to church. So we are going to have to stream so we could, my church, my child can have the experience I had growing up of playing mm -hmm. sport. Um, so you're, I think you're spot on with uh, all the competing things that the church is going to have to deal with. And we're going to have to, to pivot. And I know you're giving strategies uh, for that, for digital discipleship. Um, you have a subscription plan, um, that you're offering churches. Uh, tell tell our audience a little bit about that. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure we could scale our work in a way that made it affordable to the masses. And so our subscription plan allows you to trust us enough with the data and experience and you know who we are as the Black Millennial Cafe to train you based on what we know is relevant, based on the data we have, based on uh, the science we're looking at. And so like like the first tier is simply just uh, webinars, monthly webinars. But in those monthly webinars, we can train your entire staff. Like we can mm -hmm. train young adults, Christian education directors, pastoral care uh, leaders, volunteers, staff and leader training. We can um, we're doing preaching, you know, in a pandemic. So like all of these things, we're taking data and you know our understanding. And you know experiences and everything to combine um, what we know and just teach people, give them a steady diet of professional development and ministry. And so nobody's ever seen that. And of course, if you go up in tears, you get things like 
um, a group coaching cohort where you sit down with me as a consultant with a number of leaders around the country. And we actually look at whatever we learned from that month and we bring it into your context so that you can actually ask the specific questions and we can actually develop plans for you um, in a group situ in a group um, setting. And then if you go up another tier, we deliver an automated uh, worship experience that is innovative, that is strategically planned. We give you the social media strategy to it. We give you um, the promo scripts, we give you everything you need so that once a month you can have an innovative program that you don't have to spend time thinking through. And then I think the last, I know the last tier offers you um, the opportunity for a custom service or experience, whether that's a service project or event, we'll do it and sit down with you to make something custom that's innovative. And we still give you the same social media, you know, we give you a custom social media strategy, we give you promos, all those things. And then every webinar comes with a PDF resource so that you're taking notes and making sure that it makes sense when you walk away from us. So we just did ministry professional development in a nutshell and made it affordable and you just don't have to go to your staff meeting anymore and wonder what you're going to teach or wonder what's important you just trust us enough you know to come in and give the people what they need so that you thrive in the pandemic and beyond it was exciting and scary because i don't know any other subscription program like that but i knew it had to be affordable for black churches because everybody can't hire consultants so just to have the webinars and the pdf every single month for 12 months where you get to train your entire staff, it's $99 a month. You can't mm -hmm. afford not to at that point, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a steal. Um, I hope our listeners uh, that are our leaders will, will take advantage of that um, because we need that in, in black churches so we can continue to thrive. And as you say um, I, that you still believe in the black church, you also have merch uh, that, 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 um, you also have uh, this book, What What Google Can't Give. Um, why was this important and what can people learn from this book and why do they need to get it? Yeah, so it was important because it was, you know, the first time somebody sat down to really extensively understand and hear and share uh, understand and hear Black millennials and share from the viewpoint of Black millennials. Not my own, right? But um, we researched over 1,100. We studied over 1,100 in survey, and then we did a host of um, small groups and then in-depth interviews. So it was important that Black millennials had a voice, that Black churches understood where they were in the eyes of you know a number of Black millennials, um, how to move forward with engagement, what to do, what not to do, and then data on what millennials were valuing and what what we think was necessary and how we saw the church and how the church valued us so if you're going to do any kind of youth um i mean sorry young adult ministry emerging leaders kind of ministry i don't really think you should do it without what google can't give not because i need the sales because you know we got we good over here but <laughs> because it's pointless for you to do it without a 16 dollars resource that mm -hmm. you know is the is very unique right um, and to make an attempt to do ministry without it is just a waste of time, waste of time and resources when you actually have data there and experiences there and anecdotes and examples there to actually help you get through. So that that was I mean, it'll probably always be my favorite project. It, it, it was fun to do, but I knew it was a resource that people needed. And now when I go places, Lisa, and they tell me they read my book, sometimes they do weird things like they tell me stories about myself. And I think it's so weird. <laughs> or tell me what I should like what what I'm gonna say as a consultant because they read my book. It's the weirdest thing ever to write a book and have people feel like they know you. But it's also a blessing to be able to again 
give people some things that you would share as a consultant in a very affordable um, experience in a book? That's awesome. Y'all definitely get that. It's on um, on Amazon and also on it's blackmillennialcafe.com, right? Mm-hmm. Or I run BMC if they, you know, don't want to deal with the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been a great time with you, uh, Bree. What what would you like our audience to know uh, before we leave that we may ha not have covered in the interview? Oh, I don't even know, Lisa. Um, I want them to be encouraged. Um, my merch does indeed say I still believe in the black church, but I mean it. And the reason it's my next book is because the data is showing me that we have every reason to still believe in the black church. So while I am tough sometimes, right, um, and I'm a straight shooter to tell us, like, you know, we, we have to make some changes. I'm also extremely hopeful. And it's my prayer that, you know, the people who are listening are also, um, you know, as hopeful and believe that they have something to give to add value to uh, an institution that is not indeed dying. Um, it may be in distress. Right. Um, but certainly not dying and not dead. And so I'm really praying that people are excited again about the work that they could do in the black church for the black community and for black people. And then of course, check out my subscription service at blackchurchleader.com. <laughs> How can people find you on social media? Oh, I'm everywhere under REV underscore BRI and we're everywhere um, under Black Millennial Cafe. And I think it's only on Twitter that we're Black Mill Cafe. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bree. I've enjoyed my time with you. And thank you all for watching another episode of the G3 Project podcast. Remember, you can get our curriculum through Eyes of Color, um, take an online course, or become a monthly partner all at G3Project.org. Remember here at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why. And until next time, grace and peace. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching g3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again remember if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver you can do so on our website or by mail just go to g3project.com hit that donate tab and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online we appreciate you and i'm so so thankful for you God bless. And remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.